Well, it's great to come together this morning as family, ending 2013 together and starting 2014, and we do need each other, don't we? We found that out the past week, and I talked to Janelle this morning, Janelle Savoie, and she spent five days with her son in Brampton, and she said, that's why God gave us children, okay? <laughs> so there's lots of reasons why God gives us extended family and, and each other as well as we come together today as family. That was a uh, great service we had, too, on Christmas Eve. The power came on in time for that. Otherwise, James would have been completely shut out over the Christmas season. Uh, as far as preaching, we missed Christmas Sunday, except who was there on the Christmas Sunday? Well, that was great. We had uh, t- 20 to 30 James on that Sunday. But on Christmas Eve, I actually, as well, had the opportunity to sing in two male quartets on that night. And that was an extremely humbling experience on both counts. I told Tim, I said, Tim, how did you enjoy the pastor singing carols in the foyer? He said it was a great way to get people to go into the sanctuary. <laughs> so anyways, we're looking for ways to do that every Sunday morning. Maybe we'll just keep trying that, James. Pastor singing in the foyer. Well, I asked Wayne uh, to put some music together today about the death and resurrection of Christ, about the gospel. He is highly exalted. In Isaiah 53, it says, God will divide him a portion with the great, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered among the transgressors. He covered our sins, and he made intercession for the transgressors. So it was great to sing about that, to start our, our new year out glorifying Christ because of his obedience and his suffering for us. I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning, but I hearken back to Colossians, where the first verse of 2 Corinthians and Colossians are the same. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, in Colossians, to the saints and faithful brethren, and Christ are in Colossae, and now in Corinth it says, to the church which is at Corinth. And in both books, the, the words are filled with the gospel message. Right in early in Colossians 1, we talk about since you heard and and knew the grace of God and truth, and and you heard the word of the gospel, there was faith and hope and love and thinking about heaven. And as well, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, again, he defends his apostleship. He defends the fact that there's suffering to be a believer and a a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so again, we're, we're marked this morning by the gospel, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if we turn to that together, page 965, there's a pew Bible in front of you. It's our new Bibles, and aren't they amazing? Large print, which is good for me this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 6, and as we're singing and praising God for his gospel, my mind goes to the words at the end of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, where Jesus' last words were, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. So here's Paul, the last words of Christ, and here we have one of the early apostles focused on that gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as we read the word of God together, let's stand this morning. And I'll read 4, starting in verse 6, to the end of the chapter. For God who said, and I want us to see the gospel in every verse as we read. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's be seated, and I'll open with prayer. Let's pray. Father, at the end of a year, we're reminded that you are the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. So we look to you, Lord, that you might fill all things in this place, fill every heart, fill this church, Lord, with your will and your purpose. Fill us with a love for your word. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. So we look to you. Thank you for the power of this passage. May the Spirit apply it to each heart. In your name we pray. Amen. It's hard not to fall in love with that passage. It begins with the light shining into the darkness. And when we're thinking about the gospel, isn't that what Jesus has done? He's brought the light. I'm the light of the world. And it says it's a God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. We're thinking about even creation. The light beginning this beautiful creation of God has shone in our hearts. Back in uh, Colossians, verse 1, it says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And, and it's Christ in us. It says the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This light that's in us actually manifests Christ. Is that not a privilege for us as believers to be filled with this light that, that can pierce the darkness, that can bring hope to people's lives? So right in this first verse, we're thinking about this gospel, the light and the glory of Christ in us. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3, we know Paul, who was on the way to Damascus, and as he went his way, suddenly a light appeared to him from heaven. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And those beautiful words, he said, who is it, Lord? And the Lord said, it is I, Jesus. So there's Paul. He's seen the light on, on the road to Damascus. Who was it? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and bringing his real, the reality of who he was to Paul. Who are you, Lord? It is I, Jesus. 
And then it says that we have this treasure, this beautiful light in what? In earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power might be of God and not of us. So there's power and, and this, there's a treasure in these earthen vessels. I asked you this morning, just give yourself a pinch. These jars of clay we have, right? Or pinch your neighbor if you want to. And we're filled, we're just earthen vessels, aren't we? Here we are, meek and in our lowly estate. And I know when I became a Christian, that's what, what became so apparent to me that there's just a nothingness about me. There's a, there's a weakness. There was anxiety, some panic attacks here and there, and just dealing with sin in my life just brought me down to absolute nothing, like clay, like dust. But yet God has chosen to uh, put his spirit in us. I was thinking where we might choose to put our most precious possession. We would put it in a very beautiful place, maybe a safety deposit box somewhere. I don't know, we might bury it, but you know what? God has chosen but his most precious possession, his spirit, and the light of the glory in the face of Christ in us, in these earthen vessels. So I think that's hugely amazing that we have the spirit of God and the power of God in us. So that treasure is in us the face of Christ. It's the glory of God. It's the gospel. Earlier in this chapter, it says that people who don't believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ should shine in them. So we have this glory of Christ and the light of the gospel, this gospel living in us. This light actually is telling the world about everything that Christ has done. The word of God is a treasure, isn't it? We're holding the Bibles open right now. In Psalm 119, David says, Lord, I love your commandment, more than gold, yes, more than fine gold. So we have this treasure in us as we hide the word of God in our hearts. And as well, when we assemble ourselves weekly, just as we finished 2013, I look back with uh, Pastor Reese, you know, the mountains of God and, and resurrection living. And then uh, we had Tim preach one Sunday. I was looking back over just some notes. Tim was in Second Timothy, persevere. Is that not in this chapter as well, Tim? Persevering in our faith. Day by day, the inward man being renewed. And uh, John Dennis came up, and it says God chooses ordinary people. He talked about choosing the brothers, James and John. And Randall Gruendyke came up and talked about uh, sin is bad, but you know what? Grace is so much greater. And uh, I just think God is pouring his treasure into us in that type of preaching. And that was, it's like an abundance of riches that God has, has been working in us and refining us and preparing us to let this treasure go forth in power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. The, did you think the ice storm showed the power of God? We were getting little fires going and we were starting little generators to try to get some light going, to try to get some heat going. And uh, I think, wow, that's a real feeble attempt, isn't it? when the ice storm just completely shut everything down. And uh, we look at the gospel, the power of God to salvation. Here's our little generators, but we talk about the regenerative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to redeem us and to take us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. That's an amazing power. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power might be of God, the regenerative power of the gospel. The power of his word to go forth from us. It's far greater than the world's attempt to get a little generator going, isn't it? 
so we can milk a few cows. Say, Doug, I think you were the last guy with power. <laughs> so it's good you made it out this morning. But, but no, the ice storm did reveal the power of God, and it can quench everything we can muster up, but yet in us he's chosen to put an amazing power in us. Back in Colossians, we remember the verse, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision in your, of your flesh, he is made alive together with Christ. Those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. So the power of God in us, walking in darkness, but seen a light. And in this earthen vessel, we are all chosen, aren't we, to carry this power. I think of Paul as well. When Ananias was told to go in Acts 9, verse 15 and 16, I'll just read it. Ananias, go, for Paul is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul is a chosen vessel. I think again back to Colossians. I fill up in my flesh the sufferings of Christ that is lacking for the sake of his body, the church. And Paul did. We know he, his apostleship was marked with suffering as he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we think of this treasure in us, what happens to us? We don't want to conceal it, do we? You don't want to hide that light under a bushel. So as I was reading, Warren Wiersbe said, God jars that vessel that the treasure might spill out. This treasure is meant to overflow from us, and it will spill out to enrich others. The only analogy I could think of was a bottle of ginger ale. You know, you get the top squeezed on, and somebody like me with ADD, the way you carry the ginger ale, it's kind of you bring it like that. And by the time you get to the table, and over the last couple of weeks, that ADD was fueled with chocolate upon chocolate. And some of the chocolates I was eating were called Purdy's Puddles. Do you ever go to Purdy's Chocolate? Well, Barb said, come on in. We were at Sherway Mall. She said, or New Yorkdale. Oh, here's Purdy's Chocolate. They got some neat stuff in there. Well, they just swarm you in there. By the time you're, you got to go out with something. So we just had a few little chocolates in a bag, and the girl said, that'll be $70. So I said, <laughs> so I said that's a Purdy price on that one. But anyway, some of these pretty puddles were a little bit of chocolate in the middle and all this caramel overflowing. And I mean, that's the same type of a picture. And so here I was, a picture with a pretty's puddle in me and a bottle of ginger ale. And that ginger ale just starts to have nothing left in that bottle. And, that, and that's what we are. We, we hold this amazing power in us. And Warren, Warren Wisby said, God jars that vessel. I thought that was a beautiful picture of the trials that we have in our life. And some of us have had some severe trials and very difficult times in 2013. The loss of loved ones, dealing with cancer, or just unexpected trials, unexpected issues of life that, that can be overwhelming to us. But you know what happens? We learn to pray for one another a little more. We learn to, to love and care for each other. And, and the treasure amongst us, and as we look after each other, it just starts to spill out and spill out. And, and so, th so those things jar us. And folks, I will say to you who have gone through the trials, you have been a blessing to us because we see that light of the glory of Christ in you. We see faith. And we know that as you come out, you give God the glory even in the midst of those trials. And that's God's treasure in you. That's God's care for you. But as well, I think in the theme of this passage, when Paul is, we talked about him suffering for the gospel, some of us have been shunned at work because of our faith. We're falsely accused. We're denied a position because of who we stand for. We stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, well, sometimes we get persecution back, don't we? And in that one verse there, we said we're persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. So we, uh, we deal with that persecution, and, and we give glory to God in the midst of it. But those are tough times to be falsely accused and to deal with things like that for the sake of the gospel. But as I say, that's when the treasure comes out. When we're persecuted like that, do we give up? Do we show defeat? No, we do not. We show victory. There's power in us to endure that. And that gives great glory to the gospel of Jesus Christ because we can say at all times, regardless of what comes our way, hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but we're never in despair, persecuted, not forsaken, we're not destroyed because of the glorious victory of the gospel because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We can say, he lives, the one who lives, he, he is keeping me, he cares for me. And in that times of persecution, we know as the treasure spilled out, God brings these times in our lives that we might give him great glory and that the gospel might go forth in power. When I think of that verse about not being crushed, we have to look back at this time and think of Jesus Christ. Gabbatha was a place of pavement where Pilate grilled him. Gethsemane and Golgotha, in a, in a sense, all hell was unleashed on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53.10, it said, It pleased the Lord to crush him. In, in Luke 22, in Gethsemane, it says, He being in agony, sweating great drops of blood as he prayed. It said that, that agony means intense distress. And in Matthew 27, we read it from the cross. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 26, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So for us to not be crushed, to not be forsaken, may we be reminded of the gospel, the suffering of Christ, the crushing and being forsaken while he took the, bore the weight of the wrath of God and sinned for us on the cross. But we, we live in that victory. Although he was struck down, we know that he was not destroyed because he's risen from the dead. And that's what we proclaim. And that's the power of the resurrection that we take through every day of life. And aren't we glad that the gospel has such a victory to it? And we walk in that victory as a people, and we walk in it every day. Well, as an apple grower, Dad was probably the apple grower. We don't grow as many now as we used to, but, but we used to have the old uh, cider presses going. And uh, we used to take some apples up to a guy in the highway, too, to make our cider. And you think of that pressing of the apples. And what comes out is, is the sweet apple cider. And what's left with that old pulp? I think of our earthen vessels. That's kind of that jar of clay. We're left with that apple pulp. But can you imagine if you could just grind those same apples day in, day out, and get the same juice? Rather than throw away the pulp, it says God keeps renewing ourselves day by day. He keeps pouring himself into us, his word, and we're continually being filled, continually being filled with the Spirit. And that's the miracle of our testimony is that day in, day out, we carry the power of God, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in us, and we can walk in complete victory. When we're hard-pressed on every side, we're not crushed because, you know, we fall into the arms of God. We fall into the word of God and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, and it lifts us up to the point where we're praising God, we're rejoicing in God. So we're continually being renewed. We're continually being filled, and that is a very precious thing. 
So as we read on in verse 10 in chapter 4, my memory works in the New King James, was very similar to your ESV as you open it up, but it says, we're always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. We think of the suffering of Paul, and that dying, it was use of Sarah's womb that was barren. There's something that we're willing to take the hard road, and, and, and the persecution that comes as we pierce into the darkness. We're dying to the temporal. We're rising to the eternal. We're dying to the voice of the outward man. We're rising to the voice of the spirit of the inward man. We're dying to our version of the will of God, and we're rising to God's will for us each day. We're dying to our own personal glory. Paul says we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ. We're rising to the glory of Jesus Christ. We're dying to our strength. We're rising in the strength of the power of God. We're always caring about the dying of Christ. This dying to the temporal and dying to things and, and that we might have the life of Christ in us, taking the way of the cross that Jesus calls us to. And then in verse, seven, uh, verse 11, sorry, a very similar thought and I'm saying this is the key verse for our morning. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Again, as you read in the ESV, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So we're always delivered to death. Who is delivered? We who live. God has called us, the, the, the ones who are alive in Christ, to be delivered to death. You can't deliver the dead to death. You have, it's, it's we who live. And God is speaking directly to us this morning that we who live, we are the ones that have the treasure inside, the ones whom the light has shone in our hearts. We're the ones who call ourselves bond servants of Christ. The ones whose inward person is being renewed every day. It says we're delivered to death for Jesus' sake. It's just an amazing thought that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in us. And that's the gospel, isn't it? For I delivered to you, Paul says, in 1 Corinthians 15, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. So what is proclaimed as we deliver to death is that gospel. The death of the resurrection, the death and resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who was buried and who rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is Christ living in us. And if you see it in those verses 10 and 11, we who live are always delivered to death, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus. We're taking the way of the cross, but we have that resurrection power in us at all times. So it's, the treasure and the light is what we give out. So verse 12, so then, death is working in us, but life in you. I was thinking of an analogy, a way we might illustrate that. And one thing I thought of was the World Trade Center when it came down in 2001, which is my birthday, 9-11, so I can never forget, really, the, uh, the awful tragedy of that day. But the firefighters that went in, the 343 firefighters were killed when the Trade Centers came down. Nearly 3,000 people died that day. Uh, for one man's testimony, Marvin Pickram, after coming down more than 80 stories, was at the fourth floor. Confused and surrounded by smoke, he saw the silhouette of a fireman with a faint light. 
He says not being a very religious person, he said it was like an angel for him at that moment. And the firefighter pointed the way of escape, and he survived. But the 343 men and women that gave their lives to go into the building was death. To come out of the building was life. The firemen going into the building, I feel, is a picture of us as Christians. We are always delivered to death. And the word death there is thanatos. It means death penalty. We're going into the darkness. Whatever might come, we're not sure. But like those firefighters gave their life, we are giving all we have for the sake of the lost. Later on, as we read, all is for your sakes. But we are never crushed, right? Even to give our lives for Christ. We're never crushed, we're never forsaken, we're never destroyed. So we will go in his name. So they say, into the World Trade Center Tower meant death so that others might come out and live. Mika Shofamir's father, also in World War II, protected Jews from the Germans who were seeking them out. And uh, so he was part of the underground in World War II. And they had crawl spaces and closets where they would where they would hide the Jewish people. And Mika says, the children were told at home, what happens in this house stays in the house. So that nothing would be told, that they wouldn't be exposed for what they were doing, because it meant death. There was a risk of being shot. And Mika's uncle actually was shot. He opened the door and was shot for what he was doing as part of the underground And uh, Mika's mother was actually crippled, and sometimes when the Germans would come in, she'd be there knitting in a wheelchair, and they were actually safe in their home. But but Mika's family was ready to take on what on themselves a death penalty so that those Jewish people might escape, might find a way of escape. So I thought those were two analogies. So death is working in us, but life in you. We are willing to do whatever God calls us to do for the sake of the lost, that the gospel might be proclaimed even unto death. But we might say, even in that situation, again, we are never crushed, because Christ is, say it with me, risen from the dead. Christ is risen from the dead. And we are in Christ, are we not? Colossians 3, our life is hidden with Christ in God. For you who died, your life is hidden with Christ. So we take these earthen vessels that are on the way to death that are perishing, and we take them into situations where there's risk, knowing that our life is hidden with Christ in God. We're always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus might be manifested. This dark world needs the light of Jesus Christ. And that's our high calling, is it not? So we're not concerned about the earthen vessels or the mortal flesh or the outward man. In verse 13... We, we, uh, Paul quotes a verse from the Old Testament, and since we have this same spirit of faith, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. And we speak with assurance, because in verse 12, 14 it says, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus. Our wor- the foundation of all our words are in this great faith we have in what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we have such assurance And that's our message to to the lost, that Jesus Christ has given us life for them. And if you come to him, he will present us with you in that resurrection glory of Christ. Paul in Colossians, if we uh, think back to that study, it says, Pray that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Again, the suffering, and again, proclaiming the mystery 
If we believe, we speak. And our words aren't meant to be with superiority, are they, but as servants and as humbly proclaiming the glory of God. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. Let our words be words that show love for other people, that bring that light into their lives. And since we have this spirit of faith of David who wrote in the Psalms and of Paul who quotes it, we believe and we speak to the glory of God. And we speak with assurance. So tonight some of us are meeting, parents of our CNCH children, and we're in the theme of Hebrews 10. It says we're coming boldly by the blood of Jesus into the presence of God by a new and living way with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So that's the foundation of our meeting tonight. We're praying with what? With assurance and with faith. And that should mark everything we do. So folks, prayer time tonight. And we're going to pray with with assurance because we believe. We know he's risen from the dead and we know his plan for us. Verse 15, it says, All things are for your sake that grace, having spread to the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. It's true humility, is it not? In the footsteps of Christ, who humble himself to the point of death for us to say, all things are for your sake. Here was Paul, the light on the road to Damascus, and, and, and lifted up as an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he, he said, I'm nothing, all things are for your sake. Earlier in the chapter, we don't preach ourselves, I'm not preaching Paul, I'm preaching Christ. And all things are for your sake. So that's a a challenge to us as well, to see to the lost, all things are for our neighbor's sake, for those we work for, work with, and and those we come in contact with in life that need the gospel of Christ. We are living. Christ has put us on this earth, God, for those people. And we might just tell ourselves each morning, all things are for their sake. Lord, I'm just an earthen vessel. It's your excellent power. It's you in me. Therefore, in verse 16 to 18, we do not lose heart. Our outward man is perishing. Our inward man is renewed. And we can call all this persecution, all the trials of life, a light momentary affliction. I'm really challenged by that, to say this is a light momentary affliction. Do you know what? We have lots of reasons to think life is tough. Even in in persecution or whatever we go through, difficult health concerns or or tragedies that we can hardly bear up, we're encouraged today to call that a light momentary of affliction. This life which is but for a moment, this life that's like a vapor, it may seem so dominant right now, but we're encouraged to not look at the things that are, that are seen, but the unseen, and to not think about the temporal, these temporal bodies and our temporal trials, but the eternal and the eternal weight of glory that God has set forth for us. And I think that's really encouraging You might think nobody's going through the difficulties you're going through, but there is. There is a lot of hardship around the world, and Paul says even for him and all his suffering, which we know was great, he said it's a light momentary affliction, but working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There's there's a line in this chapter that's spoken twice. It's, we do not lose heart. Warren Wiersbe would call the book of 2 Corinthians, be encouraged. And I think in ministry right now, entering 2014, this chapter is telling us to be encouraged and don't lose heart. There's some great things ahead. We have an excellent treasure, and God will renew us day by day. He will continue to lead us by spirit. John Piper says, 
This life of joyful suffering for Jesus shows that he is more valuable than all the earthly rewards that the world lives for. If you follow Jesus only because he makes life easy now, it will look to the world as though you really love what they love, and Jesus happens to provide it for you. But if you suffer with Jesus in the pathway of love, because he is your supreme treasure, then it will be apparent to the world that your heart is set on a different fortune than theirs. So again, John Piper, in, the, in that paragraph, which was on take up your cross and follow me, says it's in our suffering. It's in that pathway of love that involves suffering that the world can see that our heart is set on a different treasure. This is one of my final illustrations about the outward man perishing, right there. I'd like to read a couple of things from this book called Heroic Faith. And actually, if I was to title my sermon, it would be what is at the bottom of the book, How to Live a Life of Extreme Devotion. A call of discipleship, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I want to follow you. More than 50 years ago, a teenage girl working in the Romanian underground church came under scrutiny. The communist police discovered that she was secretly spreading copies of the New Testament and teaching children about Christ. After contemplating how they might respond to behavior they viewed as inflammatory, they decided to arrest her. But arresting and imprisoning her on the spot didn't seem harsh enough. They looked for a way to make her punishment agonizingly painful. They discovered that she was soon to be married. Heartlessly, they decided to delay her arrest a few weeks until her wedding day. As the day of her wedding dawned, the authorities prepared to carry out their clandestine plot. Without knowledge of what lay in store, this young bride-to-be dressed in a beautiful gown she had dreamed of wearing all her life. It was the most wonderful, joyous day of her life. Suddenly, the door was pushed open and the secret police rushed in. When the bride saw the secret police, her response surprised her would-be captors. She extended her arms as if to welcome the handcuffs. Refusing to appear caught off guard, the police roughly clamped the manacles around her wrists. After giving her devastated groom a knowing glance, she kissed her chains and said, I thank my heavenly bridegroom for this jewel he has presented to me on my marriage day. I thank him that I am worthy to suffer for him. Wearing her wedding dress, she was dragged off. Her Christian family and friends wept as they watched the surreal events play out in front of them. They attempted to comfort the heartbroken bridegroom. Five years after that fateful day, the bride-to-be was released. No longer wearing the beautiful gown of which she was last seen, she no longer boasted the beauty she once had. She stood before her family looking 30 years older. Her body was broken, but not her will or spirit. She had held on to a dream that had not shattered. So had her groom. He had waited for her. He said it was the least he could do for his Christ. Our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is being renewed day by day. We're called to be disciples. As we look at this passage, God works in us according to his power. Our lives are to be lived 24-7 unto God. Each day, our lives continually proclaim the gospel. We can call our most difficult trials on earth momentary light affliction and we're to not lose heart. So I'm going to close with one more story from Heroic Faith. 
thinking about the eternal weight of glory. We're not going to torture you anymore. Paulus wondered what the Soviet officer's words meant. He had been beaten and abused for several hours, and all for the crime of following Jesus Christ. Challenging the pain that bent him over, Paulus sat up to hear the soldier continue. No, we aren't going to torture you anymore. We're sending you to Siberia, where the snow never melts. It is a place of great suffering. And with mocking laughter, the officer added, you and your family will fit in there very well. Paulus' response surprised him. He smiled and told his captor, the whole earth belongs to my father. Wherever you send me, I will be on my father's earth. The captain mocked his optimism. We will take away all you own. We will put a bullet between your eyes. Paulus, with a grin, responded, well, you will need a high ladder, captain. My treasures are stored up in heaven. If you take away my life in this world, my real life of joy and beauty will begin. I'm not afraid of being killed. The Christian's confidence angered the captain. He grabbed Paulus by his prison shirt and screamed in his face, Then we will not kill you. We will keep you locked alone in a cell and allow no one to come and see you. He continued to smile as he humbly challenged the officer, You cannot do that, sir, you see. I have a friend who can pass through locked doors and iron bars. No one, not even you, can separate me from the love of Christ. As the captain promised, the immediate future of his family meant resettlement in Siberia. But neither Paulus nor his wife was tempted to back away from their verbalized trust in the Lord. They had placed their confidence in Jesus. Because of their eternal perspective, they had an antenna that allowed them to pick up a frequency their interrogators were oblivious to. It was a signal that would be just as strong in Siberia as anywhere else. So I'd like to close with a challenge that Jesus gave us all in his final words in Mark. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Let's pray together. Father, you know we need encouraged this morning. You know we need reminded of the glorious gospel and the power of that gospel. And I thank you for it, Lord. Without you, we are nothing. But in these earthen vessels, Lord, filled with your spirit, we praise you that your name might be made known, this gospel might go forth, and that the light of the glory that is in the face of Jesus Christ might be seen by the lost, by those who walk in darkness, Lord, that they might see a great light. So, Lord, use us and fill us, and and again, let every day proclaim the gospel. Lord, let our words proclaim it, our actions, our love for one another. Our afflictions, Lord, let them proclaim the gospel. Though they be momentary, Lord, in our faith and our assurance in the resurrection and the eternal weight of glory, Lord, may it guide us and give us strength. So, Lord, I pray that this might be a year of encouragement, a year given over to the gospel that we might proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And may it go forth, Lord, in power. And may many believe and lay hold of that glorious gospel. We ask it in your name. Amen.